This is Eric Malinowski for the Colgate Raider Report podcast, and I now have the distinct honor to be talking to Joe Castiglione, play-by-play for the World Series champ, Boston Red Sox, and Colgate alum. Before we talk about Red Sox baseball, let's talk Colgate University. Colgate football, undefeated, record-setting defense with five shutouts. I know you are always a proud alum, Joe, but your Colgate-induced smile must be even bigger these days. Oh, we're loving it. We talked about it throughout the postseason and uh, in September during the regular season on our Red Sox broadcast. Uh, and we've actually created a few Colgate Subway alums, not quite as uh, big as the Notre Dame Subway alums, but uh, all over the country. And uh, it's really great to see because, you know, when I was there, I broadcast the Colgate football games on uh, the campus station WRCU and also on the Utica station because, uh, the great broadcaster Lloyd Walsh, who gave me my first pro experience, who would let me come over to his station to do the third quarter of each game, and he'd do the third quarter on the college station. So that's how I got my first experience. And uh, we had great teams there between 64 and 67, especially that 66 team that was 8-1-1 and and missed a perfect season by uh, two points. At one point lost to Cornell at a tie with Holy Cross. Yeah, I've been mentioning that 1966 team a lot this year because they posted four shutouts to Colgate this year, tying them and even eclipsing that record back in 66. So now we're all the way back to 1935. Speaking of tremendous Colgate athletic programs, Joe, women's hockey coming off a historic season playing in the national title game. Colgate women's hockey, I know, near and dear to your heart. Is you had a niece that played here not too long ago, Joe? I did. Uh, she graduated in 2014, Caroline Potolicchio from Bethesda, Maryland, and she's not working in sports marketing, but uh, she played uh, on the hockey team there, and we made several trips to Hamilton to watch her play, and uh, some of her teammates, of course, were on that great team last year, and she goes back uh, to watch them play. And, uh, you know, I always follow Colgate sports, uh, uh, especially football. And uh, I'm really excited about the upcoming game with Army. I know you should breeze over Lehigh. But uh, the Army game is special because in 1965, I broadcast the best football game I think uh, I've ever been to. And that was Colgate's comfort behind 29-28 win at West Point over an Army team that was still in national power then, coached by Paul Dietzel. It was uh, a tremendous win down 28-6 to in the second half, and Colgate came back. And the best player in my era uh, was, my classmate Marvin Hubbard was very good, but the best player was Ray Hilg, who was the captain of that uh, 66 team. And in 65, Ray caused a fumble. He was a linebacker, caused a fumble inside the Army 10, uh, with the uh, Army had 28-22. He recovered the fumble. And then the only time in his career he played offense, he went in at the tailback and bust up the middle for the winning touchdown. And Colgate won 29-28 over Army. So I'd love to see a repeat of that. Yeah, I would too. I'm very excited about that one. I've been to Army many times for basketball, but this will be my first football endeavor. Now, I know you're no stranger to electric atmospheres broadcasting for the Red Sox, but I would assume, Joe, as far as college football is concerned, it's got to be an absolutely great atmosphere at Army West Point. It is. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful setting overlooking the Hudson River, especially uh, this time of the year where with the leaves turning, and uh, it really is something special. And I know Army's pretty good. I mean, they just beat Air Force, and 
Uh, they've got a very good uh, team going, and uh, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, but hopefully they can win that, and then uh, uh, the playoffs coming up, and we'll be looking forward to that and hoping that uh, they'll be somewhere close by where we can see them. Let's switch our attention to baseball and talk about the team you broadcast for, the World Series champs, the Boston Red Sox, Joe. In your opinion, is this the greatest Red Sox team ever? Well, you know, I've been through four world championships, and uh, you can't say which one is your favorite because uh, it's like picking between your children which one's your favorite. I mean, they all had distinct qualifications. 2004 was about the greatest comeback of all time, down three games to none to the Yankees and winning it for long-lost relatives who didn't live to see it after 86 years. Uh, 2007 was about wire-to-wire, the best team in baseball. 2013 was about Boston Strong after the marathon bombings and the way that team came together and won it all. And this year was, I think, again, about having the best team in baseball and maybe the most likable team that we've had in terms of the personalities of the players. But when you win 119 games... uh, I think you'd have to say it's probably, uh, in some ways, the best team. I don't know. Uh, the 04 team had Derek Lowe, of course, led by Pedro Martinez in the rotation, and Schilling. So that was a great rotation. Uh, they didn't have a starter to start because of an injury. Uh, this year's team is the most athletic, for sure. They can steal bases. It's the best defensive outfield I've ever seen with Ben and Tendy, Bradley, and Betts, two of them just won gold gloves. Uh, Bradley is first. They should have had about five by now. And Mookie winning his third, Ben Intendi, the left fielder, was uh, a runner-up. I would say, based on the, the win totals, yes. Alex Cora was dubbed as a great baseball mind uh, with the Houston organization, of course, as a former player. And he certainly proved it this year. What makes Alex Cora such an effective manager, Joe? Well, he's got great communication skills, Eric. First, he's bilingual. It certainly is a huge factor in baseball today, but he understands people. He knows how to get the most out of players. He's not that far removed from playing himself. He's 43 years old, and uh, he's very good one-on-one. He's very good with a group. Uh, has very few team meetings, but the meetings he does have are, I think, uh, pretty powerful. For instance, after the 3-2, 18-inning loss, it took seven hours and 20 minutes in Game 3 of the World Series, Alex closed the clubhouse, and told the team how proud he was of them, single out Nathan Duvaldi uh, for his heroic effort of going six innings, pitching for the third straight game, even though he was a losing pitcher, and uh, got a, he got a standing O, by the way. And that seemed to rally the troops. The next day, the sting of losing that 18-inning game was gone. I was in the clubhouse when the players arrived, and uh, they were joking and happy, and uh, you never would have known they lost such a crusher. And that night, they came back from the uh, four nothing deficit in the seventh inning, the three and seventh, one in the eighth and five in the ninth to win the pivotal game four. Uh, but Alex has great communication skills. He understands the game, the analytics, and the people aspect uh, of baseball. And of course, uh, the strategy is uh, the easy part. But uh, he is uh, a very self assured guy and a good guy. And uh, it was wonderful to see him take the trophy back home to Puerto Rico over the weekend to his hometown of Tigers, which was uh, devastated by the hurricane last year. Talking to Joe Castiglione, Boston Red Sox play-by-play man on the Colgate Raider Report podcast. I would assume it must be challenging to do an 18-inning game, but when the setting is the World Series, 
in Los Angeles. I would assume the adrenaline just kicked in. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't feel fatigue at that time. You're just uh, so pumped up. And uh, we do split the play-by-play innings. My partner, Tim Neffert, and I go uh, inning, doing play-by-play and inning, doing color. And plus, we had Lou Maloney with us in the World Series, the former infielder who does a talk show on a flagship station. So I didn't lose my voice like poor Dan Shulman that ESPN did. <laughs> They had to fly in Boog Shambi to do the uh, fifth game of the World Series because Dan lost his voice because he had to do every single pitch. But it, it is uh, exhilarating when you go on and on like that. Uh, there are some very quick innings because, you know, when you get to that uh, late in the night and even the 13th, 14th, 15th inning, our players fatigue, and they all try to end it with one swing with a home run. It usually doesn't work that way. <laughs> Although it did in this case with Muncie. Yeah, and even though Nathan Evaldi took the loss, what a heroic performance. And he really stood out this postseason. What a great performance by him. It was a valiant effort, no question about it. And every inning that came to him, uh, what do you think? And he said, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to keep going. And the next day, they had a team breakfast at the hotel in Pasadena. And at the breakfast, Evaldi went up to Alex Spurs and says, I can pitch tonight if you need me. <laughs> he's a horse, and he's probably uh, the strongest guy in the weight room. He's, he's amazing. Other players tell me that. Uh, and we just hope that uh, the Red Sox can sign him back because he is a free agent. That's amazing. Joe, how was the parade? Uh, the parade was wonderful. I just think it was ridiculous that uh, we had some beer-throwing incidents. So 11 o'clock in the morning, you don't expect that. Alex Carr shrugged it off. He got hit with some foam, as did his daughter, but he shrugged it off. And uh, most damage was to the trophy. It can hit the, knocked a couple of opponents off the uh, World Series trophy, but that was repaired soon enough. And a couple of arrests were made. But otherwise, it was fine. I mean, uh, a million people or more, it's hard to say, lining the streets of Boston. Um, not as big as 04 because that was different. That was the first time in 86 years. And also, it was on a Saturday, and this was on a weekday. But it was amazing to see people uh, sitting on street lights and uh, out of windows, and newly constructed buildings or buildings under construction, actually, uh, and watching uh, our duck boats go by. It, it was a lot of fun and uh, a great tribute to this team. And I think that's 11 this century for the city of Boston. So <laughs> it's not exactly a novelty anymore. I have to admit, I'm a Mets fan, so on one of my drives to Hamilton, I was listening to a late game between the Red Sox and the Mets, and that's when I heard you say, Joe, that you were switching places a little later on in September with Yankees radio broadcaster John Sterling. How did that go? Well, it was fun. I, look, I hate to admit this, but I did grow up a Yankee fan in New Haven, and Mel Allen was my hero, so they do a Yankee, uh, Inning was a treat for me and worked with Susan Waldman, who actually grew up in Boston and was a Red Sox fan. And John Stone came over to our network, and we had two outs on five pitches. And then walk, 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 and then Giancarlo Stanton comes up and hits a grand slam. And I have to call it on the Yankee network. It was painful for me to watch. And Sterling calling it on our network went to his routine. One of his great home run calls with the Italian uh, that he throws in for Giancarlo Stanton, even though he's not Italian. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And the Red Sox wound up 
coming from behind, winning that game and clinch the division that night. How did Red Sox Nation deal with that, hearing John Sterling on the Red Sox station? <laughs> well, I think there were some who uh, didn't like it, but it was a novelty, and I think uh, most people understood that that was it, and uh, they enjoyed it, I think, uh, although it's a little tough with the Grand Slam call. I have tremendous respect for baseball broadcasters. I know much how much time I prep for a Colgate football game, and that comes once a week, so I can't imagine being at the ballpark almost every day and then factor in all the travel. How much daily prep do you do, Joe, and is downtime pretty much non-existent during the season? Well, it's a routine, a way of life. I mean, what you do today is built on what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. That's the way baseball works, so... I do a lot of prep the first time we play a team in the season, and then we update it uh, as the games get closer. And it's so much easier today with the Internet. When I first started doing baseball games, I was doing Cleveland Indians television. And in those days before cable, 1979, we only did 40 games because they were not going to preempt CBS primetime broadcasting for a six-place team. And getting information was uh, a chore. I would go to the Cleveland Public Library and read the newspapers, which, of course, were two days old. So that's how I prepare for a game. But today with the Internet, uh, it's so much information out there. It's so much easier. But, you know, you do have time. I, in the mornings, I'm pre- I, after I read uh, the sporting prints, especially the Boston Globe, uh, I have some free time. And uh, on the road, same thing. That's why... You know, I did, did two books, and the first was more or less a travel odd things to do on the road, most of them baseball or historically related, because I was a history major at Colgate. And uh, as long as you, you budget your time uh, properly, uh, you can do it. You know, we used to, when I was a player's age, you'd stay <laughs> up and party after night. And at this stage, you know, you go in and get up and go to the gym the next day. <laughs> Another thing I greatly admired about you, Joe, is you kept your composure after having a chair mishap in Game 4 of the ALCS, but who wouldn't fall out of their chair after that game-saving catch by Andrew Benintendi? Tell the listeners a little bit about that, Joe. Well, that was certainly your first. The game was on the line. Red Sox had a two-run lead, two out in the ninth, and Bregman is Houston's best player and one of the great uh, upcoming stars. He had a line jack to left field, and Benin- it was not very high. Benintendi came on, took a dive. And with a diving catch, did he catch it or didn't he? He had to wait for the umpire signal. Yes, he did. And then I went to backpedal in the chair and uh, to stand up. And the chair went one way and I went the other. And I said, Red Sox win. And then you hear a crash. The headset mic came off. <laughs> I popped right up. And I probably could have got away with it because, but I said, uh, I just went head over heels in <laughs> my chair. So I, I, uh, Gave, it, gave up myself there. And it was a lot of fun. I heard some people all over the country, all over uh, Red Sox Nation, and uh, really all over the globe for that matter. Um, most people enjoyed it. I was sort of embarrassed at the time. But uh, no harm, no foul. And uh, I guess uh, the public enjoyed it too. Yeah, I thought it was great. And like father, like son, Joe Duke, also in the sports broadcasting business. How's your son doing these days? Well, he's doing very good. He just came back from Puerto Rico where he went uh, with the Red Sox and the trophy to do stories in Alex Cora's hometown of Coglis. Uh, Duke was on the air 
18 years in New York City, in New York 1, at CBS 2, and for most of the last 10 years at Fox 5. And recently, uh, as a new dad, came back to Boston and is working at Channel 5, doing mostly news about some sports in Boston. So it's great to have him back home, and he covers a lot of sports, and uh, it's uh, it's great he could do that. Uh, didn't have anybody go to Colgate uh, for my three kids. We had Stonehill, Holy Cross, and Boston College, but we always enjoy it when Colgate romps over Holy Cross, which seems to be an annual occurrence now. The only team that has scored a couple touchdowns against the Raiders this season, but we'll give that a pass since that was the first game of the season. I'd like to have them again, Joe. And now let's get to the last question. How do you wind down in the off season? Well, for 30 years I taught at Northeastern a sports broadcasting course. Uh, Twelve of those years I also doubled at Franklin Pierce in uh, Ringe, New Hampshire. But uh, I gave that up about four years ago because our season was going so late into October and uh, you know, I could do classes uh, on Skype, uh, which the students didn't mind. But my wife, the real teacher, didn't think it was quite kosher. So <laughs> I gave that up, and now uh, we come to Florida. I'm in Florida now, Fort Myers, and so go back and forth. And then uh, after the first of the year, we'll be in Fort Myers to stay right through spring training. So uh I chase the sun as a snowbird. Well, speaking for everyone here at Colgate University, we really appreciate all the support that you give Colgate Athletics, Joe. And thank you so much for making time for me today on this Raider Report podcast. I really appreciate it. Outstanding. Well, I hope uh, the Raiders go a long way in football and the playoffs. Uh, it would be great if they could uh, go one step further than they did in 03. And I will be in Fort Myers when the basketball team plays at Florida Gulf Coast. I think it's December 2nd. They are playing Florida Gulf Coast in South Florida. Looking forward to that, Joe. Thank you so much. That is Joe Castiglione play-by-play for the best team in baseball right now, the Boston Red Sox winning yet another World Series title. You're listening to the Colgate Raider Report podcast. Welcome back to the Colgate Raider Report. This is Eric Malinowski, and this is the third edition of the Colgate Raider Report podcast. Glad to be back with you, and glad to be talking with Colgate head football coach Dan Hunt. The Raiders, victorious in convincing fashion once again against the Fordham Rams in the Bronx, capturing their 10th overall Patriot League title and this is already title number three for Coach Hunt in only his fifth season. Where does this title rank compared to the other two? The one thing I like about uh, winning it this year was this was the, of the three, this was the first time we won it when we were predicted to win it. Um, the other two times we were predicted either second or third in the conference and ended up winning the conference. And, you know, in 2016 we were predicted to win the conference and we didn't. So uh, it's always good to uh, – you know, to have a good team and, and, and have people know you're a good team and, and handle your business correctly and still come out on top. So uh, I think this one, you know, this one will go down as my favorite. And what was it like having that front seat passenger with you on the bus ride home from the Bronx to Hamilton, New York? It made it a lot harder to sleep on the bus, I can tell you that, having it next to me. But I'll, I'll take that. It was a good trade. And, uh, you know, anytime. Anytime you can win and, 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 you know, anytime you can win your conference and, and, and to see the kids celebrate and see their family celebrate and the excitement and the, you know, the trophies and the rings and all the stuff that comes with it. It's really, you know, I, my favorite part of the day yesterday was kind of after the trophy presentation. I just kind of stood on the other side of the field and just watched everybody, 
you know, hugging each other and taking pictures. It was just great. You know, this is a, an experience that you, you want every kid you recruit to have that experience. We've been lucky enough that every kid we have recruited has had that experience. But, uh, you know, just just nice feeling to, to get the trophy back in our office where it belongs. It's already up, and uh, and we're real happy. The one thing that I think separates this Patriot League championship than other Colgate Patriot League championships, and I think other Patriot League championships from other teams, is just the pure dominance. I'd have to really do some research to to make sure that this is probably the most dominant Patriot League title team, but, I mean, I don't see how it can't be coached. The fifth shutout against Fordham of this season is just absolutely mesmerizing what you guys have done so far this year. How do you keep that momentum going? This is already going to be a season that's going to be remembered for years upon years, but how do you make it that much more special? It seems like the team is dialed in every single week, so do you just kind of let let things go the way they've been going? Because obviously Colgate not only taking a week off, Coach, they haven't even taken a playoff, hence the five shutouts. Yeah, um, I think the culture of this team takes care of that. Um, you know, they go out and practice every day. They, it's, it's, it's competitive. They want to get better. Uh, they're never satisfied with what they did last week. And, uh, you know, we still have two more regular season games and now we know we, we're going to have playoff football. So, um, you know, they know there's a lot of football in front of us and we got to continue to get better. And, uh, you know, it's just, just, when you have that culture, I mean, if you could watch us at practice, it's, you know, it's as competitive today as, as it would be, you know, in week number one. And, and that's a credit to our kids and the leadership of our seniors. Um, so I really don't worry. You know, as a coach, you run through every negative scenario that you could possibly come up with before every game, you know, a trap game or letdown, just like you said. And these guys have just been all business. And, um, you know, what I like about the team right now is, you know, we're actually getting better. Uh, each week and and you know last, yesterday at Fordham was probably the most complete game we've played I mean obviously defensively we we dominated the game but you know we had over 500 yards of offense too so um, you know it's just good to really have have all all sides of the ball clicking and, and um, hopefully we can just keep getting better and I think one of the keys and one of the things that really tells a lot about this 2018 Colgate football team you guys were up 31 nothing at the half so you kind of have a good feeling that you're going to come out victorious, get the road victory, but what do you guys do? You pitch another shutout, you play good football in the second half. What was the message during the halftime speech? Or you really don't have to deliver one, Coach, because you know the senior leadership has it taken care of. Well, I think the the other thing that, that takes care of it was the Holy Cross game. You know, um, 24 nothing half, I think our kids – I think we took the foot off the gas and, and they, you know, they had to hang on to win that one. And, and really since that point, um, it really hasn't been an issue. Uh, they, they come out and, you know, and then, you know, obviously the defense, I'm sure they have that pride of they want to finish the shutout. Um, and even, uh, even when we put the backups in, they want to finish the shutout. And then what I've been happy with is, is, is on both sides of the ball when we've, when we've substituted and, and put in our backups, they've been producing, you know, obviously the, the, the defense that when we sub hasn't given up a point, and then offensively we've been able to score a couple touchdowns with our with our second group. And you know, look, yesterday we had two nice drives with our second group in. So um, you know, I think that it just shows that everyone's dialed in that hey, when when you're out on the field, it's time to perform regardless of the situation. Now, John Painter was telling me, sports information director for Colgate, that 
The minus 50, I believe, Coach, was that a new record? Minus 50 rushing yards. I believe the last time you held the team to lower amount was minus 42 against Towson in 1999. Do you remember anything from that game or that particular team? I, I do remember that game. Their quarterback was a kid named Joe Lee, and, and that was a little bit different. They probably threw the ball 85 times. Um, I don't know if they attempted a rush a run play. So in that game, it was all the negative rush yards, I'm sure, were all sacks. Um, I don't even, I honestly don't think that Fordham at that, or, um, Townsend at that time in their history, uh, I, I don't, I bet they didn't run the ball more than one or two times the whole game. So, you know, that's, that's, I felt this one was a little bit more earned. Yeah, we had the sack yards, but we also, when they attempted to run the ball, they couldn't do it. So, um, I'm glad that, that this one is the record because it's a true, true rush defense. I'm not sure that Townsend, that Townsend game was. And what was the keys to gain after the quarterback as well, Coach? It seemed like a lot of different packages in there, and half the time DeMorat didn't know the rush was coming. Uh, a couple times the linebackers just come by surprise. Deolius with his first sack. I believe Matt Carandang with a sack. I mean, it came from everybody. Yeah, and that's what our defense does well. Our defense, um, you know, they do a lot, but it all looks the same. And, um, you know, it, it's, that's the hardest part on a quarterback is, it's almost every defensive line alignment we have looks like the exact same defense as to play before, but it's something different and someone else is coming from a different angle and you know, you gotta figure it out as best you can before the snap and then they gotta figure out after the snap and, and our kids are uh, great at, at, at kind of fitting into that system and, and not tipping their hand and then when they come, they come with, uh, you know, proper rush lanes and, and they can get to the quarterback and uh, you know, there's nothing like a sack. I thought that, uh, you know, when, when we got, I think we got a big sack on the drive after, um, after they recovered a fumble and started and returned it, um, you know, we forced them three and out there with a sack and that was huge out of our defense. That's what they've been doing all year is, uh, you know, when the team gets a little bit of life, they, they just quelch it. So, uh, you know, um, anytime you can get that type of pressure on the quarterback that many times, you're going to get good things. When Grant got up slowly and then he didn't come out for the next couple of possessions, Coach, I'm sure the fan base in Hamilton was pretty nervous. How's he doing? Yeah, he's a little banged up. You know, his shoulders, uh, you know, he's still getting evaluated right now. But, uh, you know, he's a tough kid. You know, he's a tough kid, and, uh, you know, he had to go in and get get taken care of there for a little bit. Part of the problem was that at Fordham, the, the locker room's not that close to the uh, – to the field, so it took a while for him and Dr. Miller to get to the get to the locker room, and uh, you know he came back out and, and he played great, uh, you know, with the sprained shoulder, and um, you know he's he's real sore today though, so uh, you know we're, we'll take it a day at a time, but uh, you know I'm sure long term prognosis is going to be okay for him. Uh, just that that's kind of showed how tough he was, you know, and that you know the, the injury happened on the very first play of the game. Um, he, he kept a, he kept an option and, and got tackled and thrown on it and. Uh, you know, for him to to play the rest of the game and be his, throw the ball as well as he did and call his own number in the run game as often as he did, uh, you know, that's what you want out of your quarterback. You know, a kid who's who's going to be tough and and the other ten guys in the huddle, you know, they see that and they're going to want to play for him. So, uh, you know, we'll get a look at it during the week and see what it's like. Uh, obviously, we want to protect him now that we know we have postseason, but uh, you know, we'll make that evaluation as the week goes on. I think Abu went down briefly too, coach, but I think he returned to the game. How's he doing? He's fine. He's fine. He's just. You know, he's got a little bit of an ankle issue, and uh, it just kind of slid out on him. That field was strange. It had a couple of spots where there was almost standing water. It was really, a couple of the spots in that field didn't drain from the the rain they got Friday night. So I think he just slipped and, and took a bad step. But you're right. He got back in the game, and, and, and he was looked at today, and he should be fine moving forward. 
We all know what Abu can do returning punts, Coach. He already had a 77-yard punt return for a touchdown against Lafayette. But saying that, man, Tyshawn Sizer looks pretty good out there, Coach. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice role for him to kind of get him introduced and get him going. You know, hopefully we can expand that for him at the wide receiver position. But, you know, I think one of the things that Tyshawn brings to that is he has absolutely the best hands on the team. And there was a punt yesterday that had gone over his head and he was retreating and he caught it over his shoulder. Kind of reminded me of that old Willie Mays catch, you know, from, uh, from, from back in the day. But, uh, and then when he gets going forward, he, he's deceptively fast, he's deceptively strong, and, you know, he's getting seven, eight, nine, ten yards of punt return, and he's, he, he's gonna break one without a penalty one of these days. And, um, you know, so that's a good role for him. It takes a little bit of, you know, Abu obviously wants to be back there, and, you know, maybe when he gets back to 100% for sure, we can maybe do something with him. But, uh, you know, it's nice to have choices, that's for sure. Yeah, I know it's the same thing. The only difference is Willie Mays only made one of those catches in a game. I believe Tyshawn made two or three yesterday. With that win, it was unbelievable. James Holland Jr. rushed the heck out of the football. He definitely needs to be recognized. I believe 166 last year against Fordham, 165 this year against the Rams. But let's not forget everybody else who ran the football as well. It was an overall great day on the ground for the Raiders. And Grant did a great job passing as well. But when you put up that much rushing yards, it can't be ignored. That's right. That's right. We knew, you know, we knew going into the game that we thought we'd be able to run the ball. And then, you know, the way that the weather worked out, obviously when you, you know, when you're going into the win, you want to shorten that quarter. So how do you do it? You got to be able to effectively run the ball. And we certainly were able to do that. And, you know, it's good to be, uh, again, a lot of consistent four or five yard gains on first down and then a couple big plays that, that really got it going. But I, you, you're right. I, basically anybody that ran the ball had a good run at some point yesterday. You know, Grant ran well. Uh, when it came time for him to call his own number, obviously James, James did well and Alex and Malik both, uh, had long runs at some point too and they all scored, you know, and then, uh, you know, when we, even, you know, John Cox at the end of the game had a couple of nice physical runs and, you know, uh, Sage and, and, uh, Frank both did a nice job. So, you know, anytime you do that, what does that mean? It means your own line played well. And, and, you know, looking at the film this morning, our offensive line absolutely took that game over. They, that was the most physical, uh, punishing, uh, you know, dominant performance we've had out of an offensive line in a long time. That was really great to see. Yeah, that was the only observation Jeff Bishop made couch watching yesterday, coach, as he, uh, he even <laughs> noticed that one that they were blowing, uh, the Fordham defensive line off the ball. Now, yesterday, it, it, it's always glaring, but it was really glaring yesterday with Owen Rocket, with Diaco's catch, with Alex Matthews making a one-handed grab on the far sideline while running toward you guys, and then Thomas Ives. I'm not saying this is the best wide receiver, running back, tight end unit that you guys have ever had as far as catching the football, but, man, there's some hands on this unit, this collective unit. They can really catch the ball, and you guys must preach and practice all the time. That better not touch your body, especially with Owen Rocket. That kid puts his hands out, and it's not coming anywhere near his body. Yeah, he's he he just consistently makes those, you know, those tough kind of over the shoulder, you know, uh catches. And you're right. I think we have a whole crew of guys that uh that, you know, you put the ball near them, they're going to catch it. And I think that the quarterback most importantly has trust in that, you know. And and that's when your quarterback doesn't have to think about is this person going to catch the ball? He can just put the ball where it's supposed to go. Um 
you know, you're going to get good things. And, and, and same with, that's exactly what I said. Yesterday was not an easy day to throw and catch the football. And, uh, you know, uh, the catch Diaco made going down the middle was just absolutely, you know, that's a highlight film catch right there for sure. And, uh, you know, just, it, it is as deep of a group. And our running backs, you know, do a real nice job catching the ball. And, you know, so now all of a sudden your pass game can be an extension of your run game because everyone can get it. So, uh, it makes it fun. It makes it fun to design a game plan. It makes it fun to design an offense. Yeah, I thought Malik Twyman had a catch there for a touchdown. Would have been a second of the season, but a little bit of an interpretation of the rule there by the officials. I don't want to get you in trouble, Coach, but it seemed like the player <laughs> it seemed like the players were pretty upset at that call, and they usually don't do much jabbering. Yeah, you know, I, I watch it today. I'm, I'm going to at least submit and, and get an explanation. I just want to get it right as far as if, if if I'm wrong on the rule, I can't find what the penalty would be. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm not interpreting the, the rule correctly. You know, the cut block rule is always, you know, it, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of sub rules to when you can and can't cut, but it certainly looked like a legal block. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to get an explanation of it. And, uh, I felt bad because you're right. It would have been nice to have Malik get another touchdown catch. And, you know, obviously Owen felt bad, but I, I can't find what he did and, and, and we'll get an explanation. And if we have to change how we coach it, we certainly will. So here you are, Coach, already wrapping up the Patriot League title, although there is a scenario if Georgetown won out and you guys lost to Lehigh, you'd be sharing the title. And you were probably good at it in kindergarten, Coach, but I know you don't want to share now, so I'm sure that is a motivation going into this Lehigh game. But saying that, what is the mindset going into these last two games? You always hear plenty of debate in the NFL and college football as the season winds down and some teams already have clinched a certain seed or title or something like that do you rest do you not rest so saying all that coach what's your mindset going into these last two weeks well i think i think for this week coming up i i think we do want to we want to finish the the patriot league season undefeated you know i think that um i I, i'm in no hurry to really you know obviously have to take a look at grant's health but uh other than that um you know we're going to want to have our strongest performance because also i do think that Unfortunately, I think that kind of, uh, I hate to use the term style points, but if we, you know, if we want to affect our seeding, uh, for the playoffs, you know, we need to, to make sure that we, uh, you know, get that record up to nine wins and, and have an, and have a good win on Saturday. And I think our players want that, you know, and, um, moving forward after that, it gets real interesting, uh, to say the least. But, uh, you know, we've obviously we because of the hurricane, we have one less game anyway than, than, than normal. So, uh, our kids want to play. And, and I think particularly this week, our seniors, you know, our kids, they deserve to get this game and, and play it and, and get the experience. So this week will be full steam ahead. Um, We'll worry about Army after that, you know, depending on the outcome of that and if I can get a feel for, you know, what the what the seating might possibly be as far as maybe a home game or a bye week in the playoffs. And what we saw from Lehigh in Saturday's win is what I expected all season long. I'm sure that's what you guys at Colgate expected all season long. Brad Mays to play great, Dom Bragg alone to rush like he did yesterday, and for whatever reason, Coach, that was their first Patriot League win of the season, but we kind of expected what we saw Saturday from Lehigh throughout the season. So obviously they still have it in them. Why they weren't clicking pretty much for the majority of the season, I have no idea, but it looks like they might be the real Lehigh right now. Yeah, and, and I know that they'll want to beat us. You know, There's no doubt about that. They don't. 
they don't like us, and, and to be honest with you, we don't like them. And uh, it's just a great rivalry game. So, um, you know, our kids are great about that. You know, we warned them about Fordham. Fordham, you know, same thing is, you know, they twice this year they had scored over 40 points in a game. So, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, they they had the skill to to be explosive, and and Lehigh certainly also has the skill to be explosive. And, um, you know, I think it's actually it's good for our guys that, you know, they're going to put on the film and, and see Lehigh kind of handle Bucknell. And, um, you know, we they certainly scored more points on Bucknell than we did, you know. And uh, so I think that will get our kids' attention, not that they need too much else. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is – and I don't know why they haven't, you know, but you know they have it in them. And um, so we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, they don't keep getting right against us, I guess. Two more questions, and then we'll wrap things up on this Colgate Raider Report podcast with Colgate head football coach Dan Hunt. I saw the pictures of the angel food cake. Now, I have to be honest, I'm not a big angel food cake fan. I go more for the dense chocolate or something that's really going to make a dent in the calorie region. But that angel food cake, that looked next level, Coach. How was it? And, um, you know, our athletic director put online that she makes a unbelievable angel food cake. So she wanted to try it out for the staff on Cake Wednesday. So she did it. And let me tell you, it lived up to the hype. It was, uh, I'm with you. I'm not, you know, I would, I'm not really, uh, an angel food cake, cake type of guy, but this was outstanding. It, uh, probably lasted all of about 15 minutes in our office till it was completely gone. Um, I was a little bit nervous because I have a, I have a long personal, superstition that i'd never eat the cake on cake wednesday um you know for however long we've been doing it, i've never had a piece of that cake over there but this one was delivered to our office for the coaches so it wasn't the same cake that the players eat so i figured out ah, i'm not jinxing anything if i try it so i'm glad because now if she makes another one i can have it again but it was uh it was as good as advertised let me tell you that Hey, you guys won, so a new superstition created right here, Coach. Amen. The other Amen. thing is I saw a couple players, I saw a couple coaches walking by with the new Patriot League championship T-shirts, and it took me a little while to figure it out. And then I, it dawned on me when I saw the Royale word, and I asked my <laughs> I asked my 16-year-old son, I was like, is where you dropping, is that a Fortnite term? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I would assume that's a Fortnite shirt. And what the heck do you know about Fortnite, Coach? Is this something the players created, or are you down with your Fortnite? I know you have a couple of teenage boys as well, so I'm sure they're familiar with the game. But what's your knowledge of Fortnite? The extent of my knowledge of Fortnite is, is telling my sons to stop playing in their fourth hour. Um, uh, that was all done. Uh, Brock, our equipment guy, is uh, he's up on all that stuff, and, and he creates he's created all of our all of our shirts and. Um, you know, it took me – once I saw the Royale, that was the same thing for me. I just, I just recognized that. I didn't know. I wouldn't have known either. And, uh, you know, I knew it was a good one because I, I was driving home. I got a text from my son saying, i, I got to have one of those T-shirts. So um, Brock does a great job with that. The other ones have been wrestling-themed with championship belts and things like that. And, and that's what's fun, you know. I mean, it's for the players. They loved it, um, and that's what it should be. College football, especially when you put all this work into it, should be fun. And, um, you know, they enjoy the church, which is great. And um, I'm sure all of us coaches with that have kids of that age, that's where the shirts will be going, and, and that's fine. But it, it's great, and uh, Brock did a great job with them. Coach, I really appreciate it as always. Thank you so much, and best of luck this weekend against Lehigh. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That is Colgate head football coach Dan Hunt. We're going to roll on with this Colgate Raider Report podcast with Colgate men's soccer coach Eric Ronning. First and foremost, coach, congratulations on the big-time win 
in the Patriot League tournament against American on Tuesday night. Thanks a lot, Great win for our guys, and there's really no quit in our group. And you know, we we got in the hole early, but we certainly battled back. And um, I'm really proud of the guys, and happy for their accomplishment. What was the mindset when you guys fell in that two nothing hole? Did the strategy change at all? Did the mindset waver at all? Or just tell us a little bit about that. Well, in the first half, it didn't change that much uh, from a, strat- a strategic standpoint. Uh, you know, it was, it was disappointing to have started the game the way we did. American deserved to be two goals ahead at that juncture. And, you know, uh, but one thing I'll say about our guys is they always respond uh, really, really positively and, um, and uh, getting that goal back late in the half certainly gave us some momentum. So uh, our strategy didn't uh, – we, we changed our strategy at halftime because we were chasing the game. Uh, to get uh, the equalizer and them being down a man certainly changed things as well because things were going to open up a little bit um, or not uh, based on the fact they were going to put a lot of numbers behind the ball to protect the lead. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, uh, in that first half, you know, being down to nothing, I think our guys uh, have been through these sort of situations before. Um, we don't want to be down to nothing, but they know how to respond when that happens, and uh, they certainly uh, stepped up. The success you guys had last year in the deep run, Coach, did that experience help Tuesday night at all, or am I really reaching right now? I got a little bit of a reach. I, I just think that, that these kids have won a lot of games together. They've lost a lot of games together. Um, they've been through a lot of different experiences. There's not one that uh, they haven't been to. We've been down through nothing before and have come back and tied it up and won a game in overtime. These are experiences our guys have been through before, and I'm not discounting a deep run, but it's not so much the fact that we went to the Sweet 16. It's more the fact that we've had we have a lot of veterans out there that can drill a lot uh, in the regular season, in the postseason. So uh, it's not just the deep run; it's uh, the the culmination of their career and the experiences that they have had. Uh, they're mature young men. Um, they've gone through certain things. Uh, they know how to handle and respond to adversity. Um, uh, they're class acts. They're hard workers. And the most important thing, one thing they've learned, and I think one thing they've taught everyone at this institution is that there is no quit, and uh, they will never give in. And uh, that can uh, uh, that's a, an important factor when when you're down a goal or you face adversity. There's no quit in this team. I think it's more than just the overall culmination of experiences they've been through. The three goals coach tied a Colgate season high. What do you think led to the offensive success Tuesday night? Well, you know, we were chasing the game. You know, uh, we have, uh, we, I don't think they wanted the season to end. It's a playoff game, and, and the winner advances and goes to the next round. The, the team that does not you know, win, their season's over. And um, we have a proud group uh a group that uh, uh, has high ambitions. And um, so I think uh, as we approached the second half, being down a goal, um, we were chasing the game a little bit, but knew we had to score a goal to give ourselves a chance. And so we strategically changed the way we did things and threw more numbers forward to try to find that equalizer. Um, and two Americans was playing down a man, um, that helped open things up a little bit and, and provide us with more opportunities uh, in soccer. That is a uh, 
certainly can can help the team that's chasing the game a little bit. Uh, I can't discount the fact that uh, we were really disciplined and did not get a player sent off and um, and, and kept our composure. Uh, and uh, we're playing up a man with urgency to try to find that equalizer to help continue a group of experienced young men to continue their season who didn't want to see it end. That's what I would attribute to that, too, is the fact that we have a, a tremendous will um, and uh, determination amongst this group, and no matter the circumstances, our guys always respond, and, and success and failure, I'm always so proud of them, and uh, um, they fight and battle to the very end, and that's certainly what we did against American, and um, you know, we were chasing the game, and I don't think they wanted to see that season end, and it didn't hurt the fact that we were up a man as well. And please describe to the listeners the play that put Colgate into the next round, Coach, in overtime. It was early in overtime. Uh, we, we we had changed strategically in the uh, late in the second half and, and put more numbers forward uh, to give ourselves a better chance to, to score a goal, and it worked out. And, um, and then once we got the equalizer, we kind of went back to the way we normally play. Um, and did not throw as many numbers forward. But one thing we did going into overtime, we went back to that strategy. Uh, we put more numbers forward, and uh, I just looked at the guys. They wanted to go for it. They didn't want to play for a tie and go to penalty kicks. They wanted to win the game. And uh, uh, they convinced me of that with their eyes, with their emotions, with their hearts, with their voices. This is their team. Um, they wanted to go for it. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So we put more numbers forward. Uh, and we got the ball on the flank. Um, Oliver, uh, one of our senior captains, cut inside, who had a heck of a game. Um, instead of shooting, he, he, he was very composed and passed to a wide-open Katara Morrison at the top of the box, who had a much-deserved and earned goal. He hasn't scored a lot this year. He's created the most opportunities of our team. Uh, is, uh, probably should have a lot more. Um, and I'm so happy for Katara that he was able to bury that and uh, put us into the next round. And we know we're facing a Lehigh team that is formidable and that is really, really tough. We lost two last time, and, um, you know, we're excited to be moved. We're very fortunate and excited to be moving on to the next round. How was the crowd Tuesday, Coach? At the start of the game, it was a little uh, – the weather was did not cooperate at the start of the game. So uh, it wasn't large, but as the game wore on um, – uh, Raider Nation and the faculty and staff and the students uh, provided that extra lift for our team, particularly as the game got into the waning minutes and we we're still down a goal. They certainly provided that extra boost, and it always uh, means a lot when when uh, the home crowd can can uh, urge your team on to uh, and, and help in that aspect. So it was fantastic. I'm so appreciative of the support that we get from the community, from the students. Uh, from the faculty, from the staff, from the professors, uh, it's uh, the administration. Everyone's so supportive, and I couldn't be more thankful to be working here at Colgate with such, in such a supportive community and um, who really values our student-athletes and um, supports them through thick and thin. And uh, so the crowd was phenomenal. Uh, it, was, it was small early, but it was pouring rain, and it's not like we have covered bleachers uh so uh, once it, once the uh, waterworks started uh, stopped, um, Raider Nation was out there uh, and helping us out. 
Earlier in the year, Lehigh victorious, one nothing over Colgate. Just tell us a little bit about that game, Coach, and what are you looking to turn around Friday night to be able to advance to the finals? Yeah, you know, Lehigh is a very good team. They have a, one of the best attacking players uh, in the Patriot League and, and other scoring threats as well. Tough defensive unit, too, good goalie. They're pretty well balanced everywhere. Skilled, determined, tossed. I think this is going to be a, a one a one goal game as it was the last time. And uh, and a lot of these games, when it comes down to it, uh, it's going to come down to who makes the play. Uh, I think last time being on the road, having not faced them early in the year, we, we hadn't really discovered who we were. We were, uh, were a much different team now. So I think we have some things about us that will uh, make things uh, more challenging for Lehigh, as I'm sure they will throw some stuff at us that will make things challenging for us as well. So, But uh, we know who they are. For the most part, uh, um, we'll be ready and uh, really excited for the challenge. They're a very good team, um, very balanced, very talented, goal scorer, uh, great defending and goalkeeping. It's going to be a really tight game. And, um, you know, I know our guys are excited and uh, we'll be ready for this challenge. What's it like playing a neutral site game for the playoffs? Well, home field advantage goes out the window. So for the two and the three series, it's playing at a neutral field. You know, you, you Sometimes when you're playing at home, um, you have a little bit of an edge. Uh, you're, you're comfortable. You're in your routine. Um, you're sleeping in your own bed. Uh, you have your pregame meal at the same place. It's just a little bit more comfortable. And um, Whereas when you're on the road, uh, things just are always a little bit different. And, and every team's a little different, too. Some teams play better at home. Some teams play better on the road. Uh, but in this situation, you know, you're playing a, uh, two teams that are evenly matched, playing at a neutral site, you know, that, that home field advantage goes out the window. You know, uh, they did not play on Tuesday, so, um, you know, you can look at it as though, hey, they're going to have pressure legs, or you can look at it as though, you know, Colgate has played more recently and going to be a little sharper. You know, it, it depends on how you look at it. And uh, uh, for us, it, uh, it matters little. We played there last year in the playoffs. Um, you know, we uh, two years ago we played – with a lot of the same guys at American uh, against Loyola on a neutral field. And, you know, we just have to make sure, uh, you know, our guys are feeling good. They're recovered. Um, they're sharp. They're fresh. Uh, they're prepared. And, and more we'll let the chips fall where they may. You know, I, I don't think it playing at a neutral field against Lehigh, um, I don't think that, that, that the field's going to have that much of an impact on the outcome of the game. I, I think it's going to be the mentality of the players, and, and that's who's going to decide it, uh, the players. And uh, we have a lot of respect for Lehigh. They're a very good team. I think we're a very good team. I know we are. It's going to be a great battle. I, I, I think this is uh, going to be a very, very tightly contested game, high level of college soccer, and it's going to be enjoyable to watch and enjoyable to coach. It's uh uh, we can't wait. Coach, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, and best of luck Friday night against Lehigh. Thanks a lot, Eric. I appreciate it. That is Colgate men's soccer coach Eric Ronning, and that will wrap up another Colgate Raider Report podcast. Until next time, this is Eric Malinowski saying be proud to wear the maroon and white.